Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When studying biblical literature, it is easy to fall into the trap of attempting to lock down the meaning of the Bible's characters and symbols. For example, students of the Bible often assume that Egypt is evil or Assyria is evil, ignoring contradictory evidence in the text. Egypt and Assyria, proclaims Isaiah, will be a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. It's not that any of these nations are good or evil. In the Bible, no one is good but God. It's that their value pertains strictly to the Lord's commandment. If they serve the Lord's teaching, they function as the Lord's people. As Paul explains in Galatians, the Israel of God, no matter their nationality. In Mark, the crowds, like Egypt and Assyria, seem to have a negative connotation. For the better part of five chapters, the mobs fawning over Jesus have obstructed his mission to proclaim the Father's teaching. But does that mean the crowds are evil? On the contrary, like Egypt, Assyria, and Israel, their narrative value must be constantly re-evaluated relative to the commandment. In Mark chapter 6, the situation with the crowds may look the same, but as the good book teaches, human beings should never trust what they see. The only thing that counts is what they hear from the voice of the shepherd crying out in the wilderness. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to the Bible as Literature podcast. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. They've been given an assignment. Go out and teach. Teach, 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 and do the work of the gospel. And now they have to come back to Jesus and be held to account for what they've done with this responsibility that's been entrusted to them. This is about the seed going out, and now exactly like you say, Father, this is the status report. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while, parenthetically, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Close parentheses. The people, once again, are coming and causing a ruckus, And Jesus is seeming to continue along the same lines. There's lots of people here. Let's move away to a secluded place. Right. The crowds now are not just Jesus' problem. 
now they're the apostles' problem. The apostles now have to deal with these crowds. So now the apostles get a taste of what Jesus's life has been like. Jesus has been trying to avoid these people who are eager to get their person healed, that are eager to get something out of Jesus. When Jesus needs to just get the seed out there, he needs to get the teaching out there. And Jesus says, hey, these crowds are going to suck you dry because they're not interested in the teaching. They want something else from you. At the same time, the fact that they're reacting to the disciples in the same way that they reacted to Jesus is because it's the same teaching. The teaching is what's causing the ruckus because without the teaching there'd be no healings. The teaching is what causes everything to happen in Mark. So whether the people are trying to cling to Jesus and now the apostles for the right or wrong reason is one question. But I want to point this out, Richard, because the power comes from the teaching and once Jesus deposits the teaching with his disciples, they now hold the same power. It's very important because then it's suddenly in a way, as we've said many times, not about Jesus per se, but about the word of the Father, which the disciples can carry just as easily as Jesus. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So now the apostles are the ones in the boat going off on their own as opposed to Jesus. And so the idea is, okay, they need a break from these crowds because these crowds, whether they're reacting to the teaching or the healing on its own, because this is the problem with the crowds, they think it's about the healing when it's really, like you say, Father, about the teaching, because without the teaching, there is no healing. Correct. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So this, Richard, is amazing. It's like an evacuation is taking place. The gospel is on the move. The gospel is going out to a secluded place, away from infrastructure, away from the cities. And the people are leaving the cities and going out to the wilderness. It's reminiscent of the beginning of Mark when Jesus refused to go to the city and to stay in the wilderness. He originated in the wilderness and he stayed in the wilderness ignoring Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and the people of Judea kept trying to trap him in different cities and different houses. And now the teaching is gaining ascendancy in the land and the people are fleeing the cities built by the hand of man to find rest in a secluded place in the wilderness which, in Genesis, the garden, the Gan, is made by the hand of God. So it'll be interesting to see how Jesus reacts, because up to this point, when people mob him, he tends to leave. But they tend to mob him in cities, so he can leave the city in order to go into the wilderness. And if he goes in the wilderness, he can get some rest. Now we're going to see how Jesus reacts when all the mobs don't meet him in the city, but the mobs are coming out to the wilderness to him and where his disciples are, and we'll see how Jesus reacts to that. This proves what Father Paul Tarazzi has said many times, that sheep can't form a community. It's the voice of the shepherd that forms a community. So these people, as sheep scattered, were just scattered, but now we're going to hear the voice of the shepherd. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Right. No healing is mentioned here, only about the teaching. And he sees those who are in need of teaching, 
who are in need of a community around this teaching, and they're simply sheep without someone to lead them with a teaching. But look at the beautiful contrast, and you touched on this last week, Richard, the tension between the human infrastructure, the city, the temple, the haikal, all this infrastructure made of stone, and the wilderness, the open grassy plains, God's creation, and his people living in the land, united by the voice of the shepherd. And it doesn't matter which city you came from. It's not about identity. It doesn't say one came from here. It just, it's just about the people who hear the voice of the shepherd crying in the wilderness, which is the voice in the wilderness we heard in the beginning of Mark. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Notice, this is a place, Richard, where the word is being taught and the disciples who are supposed to be the ones doing the work with Jesus are complaining that it's a desolate place, which means they're blind. Desolate in that they don't have anything to eat. Like the Israelites who went out to Sinai, they thought, uh-oh, we've come out to the desert to die. All these crowds have come out to this desolate place and it's late. They're going to die. They're going to suffer. There is a parallel between being in the wilderness here and being in the wilderness of Sinai where you're dependent completely on God to keep you safe. And here Jesus has already begun to give them the word just like Moses gave them the word in Sinai. It's a lack of trust because when Israel was in the wilderness, God provided them the manna from heaven which is obviously a metaphor for his instruction, which safeguards the footsteps of his people. And Jesus is providing them the same bread. He's already feeding them. This is the scandal. This is why Mark chose this word desolate, because it's scandalous. God is feeding you in the wilderness, and you are complaining that there's nothing to eat. You're blind. But he answered them. And here's the killer, Richard. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So here the disciples are early capitalists. Everybody needs to take care of their own problems, Jesus. We can't take care of all these people. Send them away. Send them to the villages, to the countryside. In later Gospels, it's way more painful. Send them into the city to buy food, which is explicit blasphemy. Jesus sent them into a desolate place so that they could eat and be safe from the crowds. And the disciples thought that this meant, okay, we're going to be safe from the crowds for a while. No, Jesus only gives them this moment of respite so they can get back to teaching. Correct. And it's not about giving the disciples a break. It's about giving the disciples what's needed in order to continue to teach. And this is where the disciples misunderstand it. They think, oh, we finally got a rest from the crowds. Now there's crowds. Jesus, we're tired of crowds. The crowds make us tired. They make us hungry. We have to work too hard when it comes to the crowds. Is there some way you could get rid of the crowds? And Jesus does not want to get rid of the crowds. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? They sound like a parish council. Father, we can't give all the money away. We have to take care of our own needs. Jesus did not send them away so they could get a bite. Sending the disciples away and having the crowds there are about feeding them with the word, feeding them with the teaching, because this is precisely what Jesus is about. In other words, you just gave an account to Jesus of what you taught and what you did, and he's saying, okay, let's recharge so we can go do more and teach more. And here's the opportunity to teach, 
and you're talking about McDonald's. What's wrong with you? Teach the people, feed the people the bread of life. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go, look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And here the five represents the books of Moses, which is the bread of life, and the fish represent the community. So you have two fish, which represent both the Jewish church and the Gentile church. So notice, in the wilderness, you're gathering for table fellowship. You're gathering as community formed by the voice of the shepherd. And when it is community formed by the voice of the shepherd and not established by the hand of man in cities made of stone, when it's the shepherd's community, people don't look to see if you're a blue sheep, a black sheep, a brown sheep, a red sheep, a Jewish sheep, a Roman sheep, whatever. It doesn't matter. You are just sheep and all that counts is the voice. But as such, there is peace in the land. The disciples think this is an inadequate amount. They forgot what the goal is. Is it enough to fill their stomachs, is what the disciples are thinking. But Jesus is wondering, is it enough to fill their hearts? And when I say heart, I don't mean heart in the Western sense. I mean heart in the Semitic sense, which means their brain. Is it enough to fill their brain with the teaching? And in so doing, to establish fellowship and community and peace in the land, which is what we pine for in Genesis and he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. So when you trust in the instruction of the Lord and you do as the Lord commands, and you listen to the voice of the shepherd, you will be looked after. And more importantly, the flock will be looked after. There's enough for everybody if we obey the commandment. And when I hear about them sitting down in groups of hundreds and fifties, this reminds me also of Torah, the way that in Torah, Moses separates them out in order to have a teaching structure so that there are people who are responsible for a kind of management system, so to speak, so that everyone has someone who is responsible for them. And having someone responsible for them is for their well-being, but specifically their well-being in being taught, and they need to be taught. And so you divide them up to make sure that there is someone who can manage that group to teach them, because otherwise it's just too unruly. So you divide them up so they can be taught, and he divides up the bread, the teaching, in order to feed their hearts. One thing to remember about how this crowd is organized, they don't form a committee, they don't have a meeting, they don't hear each other out, and that's really important because what's at stake in the content of what the shepherd is speaking is not up for debate. The shepherd is telling you the content of the teaching which directs you to sit together and to hold fellowship together. This is not something that's up for committee discussion. That is the point, and that is why the metaphor of shepherd and flock is so beautiful, because without the shepherd's voice, which gives the life and death command, not your opinion about something irrelevant, but the life and death command, sit together and live, or separate from each other and die. The sheep can't live on its own, can only function as a flock, and if there's no voice, there's no flock. 
this is what is meant by community in a biblical sense. It's different than what we mean when we talk about community. They all ate and were satisfied. Again, it's this satisfaction of trusting in the teaching and trusting that God will provide not what you want, but what is required to do the work of the gospel. Right. They got exactly what they required. They got what they needed. And this is the problem with the disciples is that they could not see that what they had was everything that was needed for the people to be satisfied. They're still thinking it's about food that they took a break. It's not about food that they took a break. It's about the teaching. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And the 12 here is reminiscent of the 12 tribes. But we are reminding ourselves of the 12 tribes in a context where you have Jews and Gentiles together in the wilderness, which means that the Lord's tent, the household of Abraham, which was to be expanded through circumcision, is being expanded through the voice of the shepherd in the wilderness. But you look at what happened in the earlier in the chapter where Jesus, who had the teaching, divided the teaching up among the 12 apostles, and the apostles went and taught, expanding the way that the word was able to get out. And here, after the disciples taught with Jesus, after Jesus taught the crowds, there was enough left over for an even bigger crowd. I mean, they started with five loaves. Now they've got 12 baskets, right? So they end up with more than they began with. And this is the mindset that Jesus is trying to get the disciples in, which is when you teach, you create a surplus of teaching and therefore of teachers, and that allows the teaching to get out. So the disciples must be about spreading the teaching. Many times we get a liberal mindset which says we have to feed them first, we have to feed them first, we have to feed them first. You don't fill them full of bread and say, I did my job well. You fill them full of the teaching and say, I hope the seed bears fruit. And this last verse reminds me very much, once again, of the way the book of Acts talks about the way. The way grows, the way increases, and here there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. We're not talking about the growth in number. We're talking about the growth of the loaves, the spread of the teaching, the growth of the teaching. Because again, even though we're talking about thousands, which is the illusion, you're thinking we're talking about numbers, it's specifically 5,000, which pertains once again to the loaves, to the bread, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And we have now a potential. We have a potential of 5,000 more disciples, 5,000 more teachers. So the challenge is what happens to those 5,000? Do they become the teachers they need to be? Or do they rub their bellies and say, that was a fantastic meal? That's the question, because we saw what happened with the apostles. The apostles rubbed their bellies. What will happen with these new disciples who are filled? Will they turn to their neighbor instead of saying, let me share with you what Moses taught? Will they turn to their neighbor instead and say, I have what Moses taught. You need to go figure out what you're going to do. Go somewhere else. I'm busy taking care of my children and my community, which is the sin the New Testament is attacking ultimately. It's not your teaching. It's not my teaching. It's God's teaching for all of us together. Have a great week, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Take care.
You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.